Sunshine State. This is Tampa Bay's Tan Talk. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Man, they're the monkeys. Take the wildest ride of your life with the world's zaniest string quartet. Swing with the monkeys at 7.30, 6.30 Central Time. A non-essential job requiring no training or no experience. Your name, please. What? Thank you. Last name, Watt. And your first name, Mr. Watt. It's not Watt. Not Watt. Mr. Not Watt Watt. First of all, you've got my name wrong. Correction. Name misspelled. Please give correct letter. Well, I... Correct letter is I. Name is not not what, but nitwit. <laughs> Brother is also a nitwit. Now, just a minute. That will do, nitwit. Test complete. Interview ended. Application rejected. Is this a paying customer? Is this a paying customer? Say, 50 bucks, the Smales kid picks his nose. Most people, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to pay $75 for tires. So they hear they're only $49.95. Then you got to buy all them extras, like, do you want them on the car? <laughs> no, I'll just eat them here. Is this a paying customer? You want them balanced? What are you going to say? Hell no, I like to go down the road, have them go, bam, 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 bam. And that's what we're talking about tonight, because one little slip, you're out. This is a paying customer. This is Ted Nugent celebrating the American dream on nostalgic radio and cars. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. If you tune into Nostalgic Radio Cars, I'm your show host, Robert. Right on your computers at Google Tab Talk 1340.com. You can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, 
I think it's 590 something. Uh, don't forget to check out Nostalgic Green Cars. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We're already days away, days away, days away. Hey, we got a special, a very special show for you this evening. We have a very special guest, a legendary musician. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll give you a couple clues, okay? Some of their music, um, this is kind of like a 50s, 60s band, um, very well known. And uh, one of their songs was really, really uh, popular. And it just, it kind of like, uh, if you were to use the term viral back in the day, this would have been a viral song. But if you recall the scene in American Graffiti when, uh, I think it was Milner, that was the guy's name, and uh, John Milner or John, yeah, something like that, and uh, Alfalfa, which was played by uh, Harrison Ford, when they were doing the drag race scene in the movie American Graffiti. There was a song that they played, kind of an instrumental, and uh, that has always been kind of a cool song. And uh, so they played that song during the beginning as they were kind of heading out to the to this little uh, two-lane road out in the field out there somewhere between Modesto, in Modesto, which is basically, oh, about 30, 40 minutes north of Oakland and probably on the other side of uh, San Rafael Marin County, where I was from, So and Vallejo in that area right there. So anyway, I'm... I understand we have our special guest on the phone this evening, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening the uh, lead guitarist and founding member, one of the founding members of the famous rock and roll band Booker T and the MGs. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening Steve Cropper. Steve, how are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be here. You're glad to be here. Well, we're glad you're here, too. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Same to you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas as well. You know, I was just telling, I was just kind of like segueing in here a little bit, and I was talking about the movie American Graffiti when they played the uh, Green Onions <laughs> in that scene there. And you know what? It's really cool because I got to go back to 1973 because my one of my first cars was a '57 Thunderbird, which, by the way, I still have. And I recall going to B&B Stereo here in Clearwater, Florida, on Gulf Bay, buying my Pioneer Stereo. Or actually, what it was is an eight-track, and one of the eight-tracks I bought was a vintage eight-track. It had like "Last Kiss" on it and some of those songs. But it did have, and I bought it specifically for "Green Onions." So uh, that is one of my favorite songs. So tell us how that song came to be. Well, I will. I'll tell you a little story about that song. Sure. Very good friends of ours when I lived in Memphis called my wife and I and said, we're taking you guys to a movie tonight. I did, had no idea what we were going to go see. I just knew we were going to the Crosstown Theater. So this movie comes on, and the big race starts, and Green Onion said, she stood up in the middle of the theater. <laughs> he wrote that song. And I slid all the way down to the concrete, I think. <laughs> I've never heard anybody do that. That's worse than yelling in a library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had to be proud, though. I mean, that was your song. It was. He wrote that song. Nobody ever got up in the middle of the theater and said anything. <laughs> <laughs> So take us back to the early days. How did you uh, first get involved with music and playing musical instruments and notoriously the guitar? When, uh, you know, I started in high school, just a, a love for it. And I started writing songs when I was about 14. And I had one recorded. I got my first royalty check when I was 16. I said, boy, I know what I'm going to do the rest of my life. <laughs> was it easy for you to pick up the guitar back then? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, it was it was a struggle like anybody else. You know, you got to learn how to play one, and it hurts hurts your fingers. And I started with a thumb pick, and you know, and uh, I didn't know about gauge strings, light gauge strings in those days. You didn't have any. <laughs> you bought Gibson strings, and they come one one uh, you know gauge. That was it. That's what you got. 
But well, uh, Chip Sloman, of all people, taught me how to take a B string and use it for a G string because G strings and D strings were wound and you couldn't bend them. Huh. Okay, so you couldn't bend them nowadays. They all come with a with an unwound G, so you can bend it like crazy. So, so what was the first guitar you played? Well, uh, it was a, a, a Gibson B twenty five, I think, and uh, I have one. I still have one, and the one I have is down. It's an F series. It's it's in a museum here in uh, Nashville, and it's the first guitar. And I used to go to my aunt, not my uncle. My uncle owned it, but he played piano and fiddle. But he bought one in case somebody came over and wanted to sing and play guitar. <laughs> He'd say, well, I've got one for you. They'd always show up and say, well, I don't have a guitar. I can't play it. Well, he bought one anyway. <laughs> so uh, I used to get it out and plunk it like a rubber band and just to hear it vibrate on my neck when I was about eight years old, eight or nine, I guess. Now, you're from what, You're from the Midwest. Are you from the Nashville area? Are you from, I think you're from Missouri, aren't you, originally? I'm from Missouri, originally. From Missouri, I moved from Missouri to, to Memphis, Tennessee. From Memphis to L.A., lived there 13 years, and then left L.A. and came to Nashville. So how did you get your start? I mean, what was it like for you back in the day? Because, you know, we've in fact, it's interesting, we had uh, Joe Chambers on from the uh, um, Nashville uh, Music Hall of Fame. Right. And, right. Absolutely. He's a curator. Yeah, and uh, so we were talking a little bit about some of the guests that he had on the show and how his whole musician, his uh, the museum came to fruition there. And right. uh, which is kind of good, you know, because Absolutely. I I play a little guitar. I started when I was ten, and I gave it up, and then I picked it up, and gave it up, picked it up. Now here I am, sixty some odd years old, and I'm trying to play it again. You're right. Uh, light gauge strings are a lot easier when you're older and you don't have a lot of strength in your fingers, you know. But I just play rhythm, <laughs> and I stay below the the seven frets down to the to the nut, and there I'm I'm comfortable. That's my comfort level. There you go. Well, I hope you never get what I got. I told my wife about four years ago, my brain still works. It tells my hands what to do. They don't react like they used to. I went, wait a minute. What is the deal here? <laughs> so, so I don't know. I may have to just quit. I can't I can't play anymore. I literally, I proved that last month down well, in Fort Worth, Texas. So, well, now you, you got it, but you, you have a new album coming out, right? Or you have one come out? No, it's been out. It came out in April. Oh, okay. So tell us about that album. Grammy. Yeah, it's been nominated for a Grammy, and I thought with the new lockdown or what a pandemic we're having maybe it'll sell again who knows <laughs> but but i think the title had a lot to do with it being nominated or whatever it came on at number one and stayed on 15 weeks and, and now got nominated for a grammy and it's called fire it up fire it up that's it's good. not about fire up the grill it's about let's fire up a relationship unfortunately <laughs> should have been about the grill <laughs> So does it have anything to do with this pandemic? I mean, is it something about the whole well, scenario? the album has everything to do with the pandemic. Okay. So what I mean by that, the band that played all these songs were never in the studio together at one time. We never were. And we couldn't couldn't go anywhere. And the thing about the, the tracks, they were written for a Felix Cavalier project, which he refused. He was gonna, he's not going to sing any of them. He played on a few of them. He said, I'm not going to play on the rest of them. I'm definitely not going to sing any of them. So we said, okay, I just scrapped him. Then my co-producer, John Tiffin, has a studio in his house, and he had access to all these tracks. He called me one day. He said, do you mind if I finish him up? I said, no, but you're going to need a singer. He says, got one. Man, this guy, Roger Real or Roger Real is just fantastic. And I, I said, where's this guy been all my life? Well, I don't know whether I could have done anything or not. I would have tried anyway. I mean, this guy is a great singer. And it worked out real good. And people have been telling me, you need to get a singer. Does that mean you don't think I can sing? No, we're not saying <laughs> <laughs> You just need to get a singer like Santana did. <laughs> well, okay. 
Well, I guess we did, and it worked out pretty good. So, and I have said this: I have not done an album that feels like this. The dance it was full of dance music. So the songs are all makes your booty wiggle, and uh, I haven't done that since '66. I think I had an album out called "With a Little Help from My Friends," and I've had many albums out with Booker T and uh, all other stuff that I played on, but it's nothing like this. I mean, this is just groovy. And I have said, if you're not wiggling your butt in the first two bars of this record, you're already dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. So give us, take us back to the, the early days before Booker T and EMGs was formed. What, uh, w- w- kind of whereabouts were you at that time? Well, in school with my buddies. And uh, it was a guy named Charlie Freeman that I hooked up with. And we learned guitar together and so forth. And we got to be pretty good. We put up, and so we auditioned for a disc jockey one time. His name was Keith Shear. And uh, he said, you guys are pretty good. If you Do you have a, is this all you got, just two of you? He said, yeah. He said, if you had a drummer or a bass player, I'd put you on one of my sock hops. Well, that got us to thinking. So we put a band together. We started playing a lot of sock hops and stuff. And we started playing uh, youth organization stuff. You know, we played on uh, Friday night and Sunday night. CYOs and, and the Methodists church we played the dancers and and so the thing the way we got connected was that some of our elvis's bodyguards dated our seniors <laughs> oh really and the, the, yeah the singers the seniors would drag them along because you know to hear us play to dance and i said man you guys are pretty good so one guy ted Brule, said i think it's time you guys audition for my good friend he's sure so we did and uh, there you go the rest is history <laughs> we put a band together and had a band for a long time in high school and played uh, senior proms when we were juniors and stuff like that. And and then when we cut last night, they said well, it, was, it was a combination of the band and some other studio musicians that were military trained, great guys. And uh, so we cut that song, and, they, and so Jim Stewart said, this looks like it's going to come out, it's going to be a hit, and we need a name for a band, and, and we need a name for the song. So we came up with the Marquis. <laughs> Ooh, last night. So that was Floyd Newman that said that a baritone one. And then, and then, how how did it go? How did it evolve into Booker T and EMGs? How what was, when when did that well, come? Well, uh, just being a house band, and uh, so I kind of I, I didn't really leave the band, but I did. I quit the band in Bossier City, which was an extra added thing after we had finished our tour. And we were there for about three weeks at the uh, show bar in Bossier City, which is Shreveport to most people. It's, uh, Bossier City is where they have gambling across the river, on the other side of the river. And uh, so I, I called Mrs. Axton, our, our tenor player's mother, and said, could I have my old job back? My old job was selling records at the record shop. And she said, yeah. I said, well, I'll be there in the next couple of days. So I got a bus ticket, went down and bought a bus ticket, caught a bus to Memphis, from Shreveport, and uh, showed up in Memphis and got my job back, and that's how it all started. I put a band together. So one day, Mrs. Axton goes to her brother, Jim Stewart, and says, you got to start paying Steve. He spends more time in the studio than he does in the record shop. <laughs> so they worked it out, and so Jim started paying me, and I put a band together. He said, we need a house band. Okay. So I started asking around for good players, and Booker happened to be one of them, and I went, I went to Knocked on the door. His mother comes to the door, and I said, I'm looking for Booker T. She said, just going back to the den. He's back there playing music. And I go back there, and he's playing guitar. I said, Booker, I need a keyboard player, not another guitar player. And he said, oh, I play keyboards. 
So uh, he plays everything. Booker plays everything. He's one of the greatest musicians I have ever worked with. I, I'm, I mean that sincerely. This guy is fantastic. He knows music. He knows uh, harmonies. He knows all that stuff. He can read music, write music. He can write for symphonies and orchestras and all that stuff. He does everything. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Donald Duck Dunn uh, here in <laughs> in Sarasota one time. There was a benefit, uh, small benefit concert that uh, show that Brian Johnson from ACDC was doing, right, and man. one of the local radio stations somehow connected with uh, with Brian and Donald. So he was there, and I looked at him when I first met him, and I said, "God, you look familiar." I just couldn't place him, and he goes, "I'm Donald Duck Dunn," and then I was like stunned. And I really, I was, I was like, I was kind of like, wow. I really, but he, but, but he was kind of like really, really busy because they were trying to get him on the stage and everything like that because he was playing, and uh, he, he was just a super nice guy, very casual, um, and you know, his bass line, you know, da 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 da. That was when you first pick up a guitar and you're a kid. You learn Wipeout, you learn uh, Stepping Stone. This is in the '60s now, and you learn the uh, the bass line for um, Green Onions. Those are the right. kind of like, and they're relatively easy. And you know that's but when you play the guitar and you can start making a few songs, even though you're by yourself or you're playing some licks and stuff, that's the encouraging part about a guitar. Same thing with a piano or any musical instrument. And uh, so that's kind of what that's what it was for me. It was pretty cool. I you know right. so. Well, that line, as you well know, you're being dishockey. It's been used in a lot of different songs. I think that bass line, that da 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 da, was written back in the '30s. Oh, really? Used on a lot of blues records. <laughs> so when you guys came out, you know, because rhythm and blues. So how do you define Booker T and the MGs? Is it an R&B band? Is it a rock and roll band? I mean, I don't think you do, but I know we signed a contract one time, and they put us in the jazz department. We don't play jazz. We play rhythm and blues. We play dance music. So what we did as a house band, we took a lot of old blues songs and made them dance. Even though they were slow songs, some of them were slow. And instead of playing it like a blues song, we played it like a ballad. <laughs> so what year was this? Songs you could dance to, huh? What year was it? Yeah, take us back to the beginning of Booker T and the MGs. Oh, but, but Booker T, the Green Onions came out in 1962. Right. Last night was out in 61. So last night was a summer hit, and so was Green Onions. It came out in August both times. So it was right at the end of the uh, vacation time for kids and all. They were still in the pool and hadn't gone back to school yet. How, did, how much Labor touring? Remember early October they go to school? Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, back then it was the day after it was a Labor Day. It was like September 2nd, September 3rd when we went to school back in those days. Yeah. Right, right. So, how was it for you guys early on? I mean, did you was it easy to get a record contract? Did you have to go out there and do like a lot of guys? You had to cut a well, cut a demo I mean, and what we didn't get to do. We didn't get to go tour like most bands do. We had work to do in the studio. We were a house band. Oh, okay. We also got lucky with Green Onions. So we, if we worked at all, it was on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, sometimes on Sunday. But that was that was only work we ever did. And this was all in what area were you at? Is this all in Missouri area now? Well, a lot of it was. We played all over. Uh, you know, we played colleges all over the United States. Okay. And then we wound up back in uh, Creedence Clearwater one time, not backing them, but we opened up for them. I think Wilbur, Wilbur Harrison came out and did Kansas City, and he, he was first. Then we were second, and then Creedence came on. And so, that was in uh, 68, 69, I guess. So, and then the Booker T and MGs, is the band 
pretty much is is it still together? I mean, do you guys still get together, do reunion tours, and and well, and play together? You know, we really have not played. I've played with Booker, but as far as Duck and I, Duck is of course gone now. Right. But, uh, back whenever we hadn't played with Booker in a while, and uh, you know, Booker is still out there working all the time. He's got gigs coming up, and uh, he's got a band out there, and I think he's utilizing his son. Teddy is playing. Uh, he started out on drums. I think he's playing guitar now. And I have not heard them. I heard them years ago. I heard his band years ago uh, down in uh, Tucson, Arizona. What are some of the more memorable events that you uh, and 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 people that you and other bands that you toured with? If you have to go back and let's say we want to share some really cool stories. Um, you know, stuff that's kind of like surprising, eye-opening a little bit, you know, where you had a, like, wow, this is a really, I mean, I'm surprised. This is great. This is wonderful. Give us a couple, you know, feel-good stories. Well, uh, we played with so many people, but I, I would think one of the best tours was with Neil Young. Neil Young, really? The MGs, Neil Young, Booker T and the MGs, 93, Neil Young, Booker T, 93. That's how I remember it, it rhymes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we did uh, Jimmy Buffett. I was out with Jimmy Buffett I wasn't really a reefer member, but I played with the reefer band. Okay. And then after I got fired, everybody, I never did understand that. <laughs> but he got a new band after that. And, uh, you know, it, life moves on. This guy is incredible. He's a genius. He's a great writer. When you guys were traveling, did you fly a lot? You traveled by bus? Or how did you guys get around back well, in those we days? We usually flew. We usually flew. And, uh, you know, back in the days, in the in the early days, they had TWA. We would always book that table all the way in the back. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Levon Helm, when we did two world tours with Levon Helm, he said uh, he always booked the back. So we asked him one day, Levon, how come you always booking the last seat on the plane? He said, have you ever heard one of these things backing into mine, have you? I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to save him. He'd fly all the way to the front. So. <laughs> exactly. But he thought that would help. So anyway, whatever helps. <laughs> How about traveling and touring in other countries? What was that like for you guys back in the day? Well, we didn't do that back in the day. I've done it since then. Okay. 50 years worth with, with the Blues Brothers. And uh, I know 19 heavy years we worked real hard for the last 19, not the last 19, but that was I, it was a 19 year stint, and I quit uh, I quit traveling overseas about three or four years ago. I've been back over since, but uh, not with uh, not with uh, the Blues Brothers. So when you were traveling, I did. Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. I said I was. I've been out a couple. Of, I did two tours uh, in the UK, in and around the UK with the original Animals Band. The original Animals, really? Yeah. John Steele, drummer, still alive today. We're about the same age, and he's still uh, he's out of uh, Newcastle, I think, is where he's out of. And most of that band lives in around Swindon. Huh. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. And the the guy that we, when I was over there, the guy that played bass and sang all those songs, uh, he's now a promoter. Was then too, so he would book the band, promote the band, and all that sort of stuff. Now he has several acts that he books and promotes. So when you guys would travel overseas, what countries were the most receptive to your music and and who and well, you know? You're going to say I'm lying, but all of them. All of them. And every time I'd come back over here, I'd be watching the news. They'd say Europeans hate Americans. No, they don't. They love us to death. 
<laughs> they love us. They really respect the Americans. Totally. Well, I don't know about tourists, but I know they do musicians. We were treated first class ever every country we went to, including Russia. Including really well. Well, all right. So I guess where I was going with this is like you know in England. We're English, American. We speak the same language. So, but when you travel to Germany, when you travel to Italy, when you travel to France, when you travel to you know the Netherlands or Scandinavia or someplace like that, were they as equally as enthusiastic about you guys as they are in England? Or absolutely, because they always wanted us back. Okay, well that's. <laughs> so we entertained them, and they loved it. They loved to be enter- those people. Love to be entertained, just like anybody. So what about... They, they don't like going to a concert and hear bad music or, or bad performance. They, nobody likes to do that over here and over there either. Well, this is true. And so... We, uh, always, we always entertain people. That's the main thing we do. We don't just, just play music. We entertain. So by, by entertaining, it's to play any music and then a little uh, camaraderie on the stage and everything like that, a little, you know, talking back and forth? Brothers, it gets a little funny every now and then, yeah. <laughs> so who were the... You know, it's a little less serious. When when you say Blues Brothers, who were the who were the cast of characters, so to speak, with the uh, Blues Brothers when you were traveling on? Well, on... Uh, other than the singers, which uh, we had, Tommy McDonald was the original guy, uh-huh. Rob Paparozzi, and then when we had the Blues Brothers too, we got Bobby Harden to go with us. Okay, but the members of the cast were uh, Tom Bones Malone originally, Doug Dunn, Steve Cropper. Uh, I'm trying to think who played drums. We had different drummers at different times. Because Willie Hall was unavailable and working elsewhere. And uh, we, Lou Marini was our leader. We had uh, Alan Rubin on trumpet, Tom Bones Malone on trombone, and Lou Marini on saxophone. So, and then when, so this is when you traveled both the United States, Europe. How about China? I mean, not China. Yeah, well, Japan, Japan China. Did you ever do any t- touring over well, there? We did Japan about eight or nine times. I've never been to China. Okay. Or anywhere else in the Orient. We did play Thailand one time on an island. <laughs> so were the were the Japanese were they just as enthusiastic too? Absolutely, they mm-hmm. love us over there. Okay, how about Australia? Enough to have us back every year, and uh, you know we always played the Blue Notes. The problem with that is they can't afford us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> It's called inflation, I think. Uh, yeah, right, okay. It went up, and so a lot of fans don't go to Europe anymore, don't go to Japan anymore, because they can't afford them. Interesting, interesting. So, interesting. How, of, of all the people that you've worked with, um, did you did you do much recording in Nashville by any chance? No. No? Where did you do most uh, of your most, recording? Most of the hits and recording I did was when at the time when I lived in L.A. for 13 years. Oh, okay. So I left Stacks and uh, started a, a company with a friend of mine, a studio called TMI, Trans Maximus Incorporated. And we we had a few hits out of there, not, not very many big hits. And I moved in 74, I left Memphis. And uh, I left Stacks in 1970. In 74, I left Memphis. So I, I hung in there for four years. And I told Jim and Al Bell, I said, I'm not going across the street and going to competition. I'm not going to do that. I still cut uh, Eddie Floyd a few people. When did you? Um, so most of your recording was done in L.A. or so, like Muscle Shoals or someplace like that, or Atlanta. You never did any recording well, in there. Both, both. We oh, did. did uh, we did Rod Stewart at started at uh, Wally Hyder Studio, and then we moved to, to uh, some other studios, and then we moved to uh, Muscle Shoals. Okay. And uh, we did Ringo down at Western and Sunset, and 
trying to think of some other stuff that we did out there. Uh, we did uh, Neil Sadaka in, uh, in at Clover before I moved over to to uh, the Robs Cherokee Studio. So I'm trying to think what else. I, that was about it. That was, I worked at Clover and then I moved over to Cherokee, but. I recorded with a lot of all the studios, different studios at different times. Okay, how about um, with musicians? In other words, when when you're recording, do you, do you as your t- your your band do you do a- the actual musician or you know playing the instruments and everything, or did you have session musicians do the 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 musical side of it? Then you guys did the sing- singing, and then they did the mixing on everything. Is that how that kind of worked? Or well. Yes and no, but uh, let me tell you the difference between Memphis and L.A. Okay. L.A. has a lot of different players, and they pay tribute to all those guys. So you never knew what who was going to be on a session until you got to the session. In Memphis, it was the same guys every day. Every studio in Memphis had their own rhythm section, and that's the ones they used, the house band, the rhythm section, whatever. American had one. Other studios had them. Sam Phil, I, the only other sessions I did maybe was over at Phillips International, a couple of sessions, and that's about it. So when you were out there, let's say in the in the '60s in L.A., um, and I'm going to use Glenn Campbell as an example. He was a sessions musician, and ultimately, you know, you became. Know, I played with him one time in Scottsdale, Arizona, but I never played with him as in the studio. Huh. And the funny thing about Reggie Young, who was a great player out of out of uh, Memphis. He and I never sat together and did a session together until I moved to Nashville. While in Nashville, we got booked on four different sessions together. <laughs> interesting, interesting. That is very interesting. Um, it's uh, I, There's another lady that was around back in the day, and I think she's still alive today because I've actually reached out to try to get her on the show, but does the name Carol Kay ring a bell? She was a bass guitarist. Actually, she was a, a, right. a six-stringer. Then she became a bass guitar, and she did the original bum, 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 you know, for as the beat goes on. Right. And uh, well, I just wondering if you ever played with her. Well, I, I never played with her. I never worked with her. Never have never have met her, but one of these days I might. My engineer, when, when Ronnie Capone left, I, I went to the next person in line, <laughs> who turned out to be a great producer, uh-huh. Jim Gaines. And I used Jim Gaines. Jim Gaines came to me at TMI one day, and he said, this girl, Carol Kay, has a studio. She's offered me a lot of money to go out there. And I said, how much she offered you? He told me, I said, have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. He wound up doing uh, Steve Miller, Journey, uh, Huey Lewis in the News. What else did Jim do? Jim came back to Memphis and tried some Albert King stuff and different things. But uh, I, don't, I think he's still a good friend. He's Every now and then I, I get a note from him, and he says, "Hey, just checking in, my old fishing buddy." <laughs> <laughs> we leave the studio mixing all night long and go catch catfish <laughs> and follow and take a nap on the bank. <laughs> who? So, who are musical influences uh, in your day? In other words, who like people you listen to that kind of you know had an influence on maybe your style of music or your playing? Well, when when you say style, there's only one guy that comes to mind. Okay. His name was Loman Pollard. He was a leader and wrote most of the songs for the Five Royals. So I listened to other guitar players at all, like everybody else did. The jazz guys, I listened to Les Paul, oh. Ed Atkins, and I said, they don't need another one of those. B.B. King, they don't need another B.B. King. So a lot of guys copied their whole style around some of these musicians. I don't think they ever accomplished 
tell you that because he was a pure genius when it came to music. Did, <laughs> did you ever play with him? I have. I played with him at the Bluebird one time. How about the Grand Ole Opry in uh, Nashville? Have you ever played there? Well, I played the Ryman, but I never did play the Grand Ole Opry because I'm in a different genre of music. Okay. If I played country, maybe I, I would have, but I didn't. But I played the Ryman many times. We played the Ryman back with Green when we had Green Onions. Oh, oh wow. Richburg, who was spinning that record and made it a hit. He also, he also broke uh, Otis Redding back in 63, a few years later. And... Um, They had a uh, an AM hundred channel, a hundred watt AM station. Went all over the all over the world. There was one in in Chicago and one down in Mexico. Wolfman Jack had the one down in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, just on the other side of the border. Yeah, I played on his first album. No kidding. And I looked around that studio. And we started at midnight. And I'm playing with Jeff Baxter and all that. I said, "Man, I gotta have. I gotta be part of this studio. This is a great studio." <laughs> so I, somehow I figured out business wise, and I left uh, Clover and moved over there to Cherokee. <laughs> Interesting. And at Clover, we we cut a lot of stuff at Clover, uh, different things. And uh, I did Ned Doheny over there, and a, and a friend of mine said, "This is a picture of us backstage." He was so young in those days. I didn't even remember him being in the picture, but he said he played piano. I'm riding with. Him. Wow. <laughs> He pulled that picture out and sent it to me. I went, holy mackerel. It was me. I'm in the background with Ned Doheny in the back back line. And, and he's like the second or third guy in. He said, that's me. He pointed out that he was playing piano. And I recognized the DJ at the time, Richard Kimball. And uh, behind him is Gary Malibu, I think, the drummer. So I asked him on the phone today, was Gary Malibu the drummer? He said, I don't remember who the drummer <laughs> Well, I remember his face. That was a long time ago, but anyway, we did it anyway. So that was years ago, I guess. A lot of musicians um, played, let's say, like background for other other uh, notable musicians and songs. Are there any songs and well-known songs, musicians that you played with that you were kind of like invited to kind of play in the background a little bit and, and lend your musical talents? Well, I wasn't on the record, but uh, Curtis Mayfield always impressed me. Oh, really? Some of that stuff he did, yeah. People get ready and all that stuff. Interesting. Amen. Amen. Oh, wow. The harmonies on that. And I got to see him one time. I'm downstage. I pushed myself all the way up, and I'm looking right up at him. <laughs> this is Curtis Mayfield now you're talking about, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mayfield. And, and we did a tribute for the Grammys one year, and I got to play on that tribute. Bonnie Ray was on it, and a bunch of other people. I think BB was on that tribute. Stephen Stills. Who are some uh, of the of your contemporaries that you have liked to work with, and you haven't had the opportunity yet, and you may still have the opportunity? Well, there's only one artist that I ever said I didn't get to work with her. I never did meet her, but I saw her show three times. That's Tina Turner. Oh really? I have, I have worked with Aretha, of course, and uh-huh. I knew her quite well. And what a sweetheart she was! But uh, I'm sure uh, Tina would have been too. But I never did work with Tina. I did work with Ike one time out, uh, out in California, but uh, and he played on an album, and I was doing Joe Lewis Walker, and Joe got him to play on one of the songs. Interesting. But I never did get to meet Tina. <laughs> how about how about like the uh, Isley Brothers? You ever do any, any work with them? 
No, but I but I heard them and saw them, and, and you know, their biggest fan, whether they know it or not, is Jimmy Buffett. Really? He was always talking about the Neville Brothers. I said, I know those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so Art said, you know, of all of the people that have a video of my wedding, you and Angel are the only ones, my wife and I. We we had a video camera and took a video of his uh, wedding. He said, man, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> he told me that when he was over in, uh, we were over at the Fuji, uh, the Japanese pop festival Fuji, Fuji Pop Festival, I think they call it. It's the foot of uh, Fuji Mountain. Um, so your guitar of choice that I usually see you in, on stage with is a Stratocaster, correct? No, Telecaster. It's a Telecaster? You got the caster right, but the Strat, no. No, I, I could have swore I saw you with a Strat. No, Telecaster. Telecaster, okay. What is it about so, the... Let me tell you about this. The okay. first guitar I played on a lot of sessions is an Esquire. It's still milled out. The only thing is they didn't mill out the the pick guard. <laughs> so it's a one pickup guitar. But there's still the the body of the guitar is milled out for the other pickup. <laughs> Interesting. Put it up so you don't see it. And it was an Esquire. And I think the one I had was a fifty six Esquire thing. Huh. <laughs> So it's a Telecaster. Okay, so uh, do you have a preference to Because the Telecaster's got, I think it's got the one big pickup in the back. The bridge pickup's pretty good. And then the, the neck pickup's kind of a, kind of a it's like real twangy kind of like. Is that the deal? I play, now I play, uh, it's, it's like a PVP-90, but I play on the neck pickup only. And I finally got tired of that, the bright pickup, and back pickup, uh-huh. rattling so much. I took it out, put a piece of cardboard in it so it would rattle. It sprayed it with gold. Hey. <laughs> well, now, it's real funny. And the guy, guy, fans will come up and say, man, I love your tone. Those pickups. Where'd you get those pickups? I said, Obviously, you weren't close enough to see this guitar. And I showed it to them. They said, holy mackerel, that's cardboard. I said, yeah, it's cardboard. <laughs> so you only play with one pickup then, the neck pickup. Yeah, the neck pickup on, on the guitar that I'm playing now. That wouldn't work on the old guitars. And uh, my Telecasters that I used in the old days, I was put it in the middle position so I had both pickups working. Okay. Um, so if it's all the way back, it's too bright. If it's all the way forward, it's too dull. Put it in the middle, you get a little of both. Okay. Well, it's like the, the Telecaster is kind of like the country guy's guitar. I mean, it's like, you know, you look at Brass Paisley and people like that, they all play the telly. And, yeah. uh, but I always, you know, rock and roll, I kind of... Is more of a strat kind of thing. So I, for some reason, I kind of swore I saw you playing strats, but um, maybe my well, I should know better. I don't think you did. If you, if you got a picture of me playing one, please send it to me. I'd like to see it. Okay, I'll. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been on a YouTube video. I don't know. I got to. I got to go back there and 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 take a look. Um, the only time I think I've ever played one is when I sat in with somebody. Okay. And they were playing a strat, so I'll just pick it up and play it. Gotcha. The problem with the strat is. It has three pickups. Right. That middle pickup is right where my pick is. So I, I play two strums on a guitar, the pick goes flying out. <laughs> yeah, that is that. That yeah, exactly. That's kind of like a Gibson SG uh, Deluxe. It's got three pickups, and and the the middle pickup's always in the way. Or you hit the knobs. One of the two. Right. One of the two. <laughs> so when when so I've got some custom strats with no middle pickup. Oh, you do. And the whammy bar locked down. Okay. <laughs> Well, that, well, I would, I would have guessed if you, if you don't use the whammy bar, you probably get just like a hardtail because a hardtail doesn't have that. Um, right. 
I never played one enough to buy one of those, but it's, you know, I did what I did with it. <laughs> All right, so when I've always played a telly. When when Steve Cropper's not playing music, he's catfishing, right? Well, sometimes bass fishing now and striped fishing. I'm usually out in the big ocean, catch a big fish. Oh, the big ocean. Now, okay. What I'm learning to do here, what I'm learning to do here around Nashville, the lakes of Nashville, is catch striped bass, big ones. Big ones. <laughs> big ones. Okay. Not little four and five pounders. Big ones. When I say big ones, twenty six pound over and bigger. <laughs> so you live in the Nashville area now, or do you have a home elsewhere? I have been out here. No, I live in the Nashville area. I've been here for my wife and I just celebrated 33 years the last time. Next time, next June, it will be uh, 24, uh, 34 years. Well, congratulations. I've been to Nashville myself for longer than that, 36, 37 years. <laughs> but I met her here. She was living in Dallas. I was living in L.A., flying in here about once or twice a month. And I met her at a restaurant, and we started dating long distance, basically. I'd talk on the phone all the time. And then it, when I was coming to Nashville, I'd say, well, I'm coming through, and can you pick me up? And she'd pick me up at the Dallas airport, and we'd go out and have dinner that night, hang out a little bit, and then I'd head on to uh, Nashville. Is she in the music business, too, or was she? She was, yeah. What aspect of the business was she in? Wife for years. <laughs> What what aspect of the music business was she in uh, when you guys met? Well, she was a singer. Oh, she was, really? And I played behind her since then, but not in the old days. She says she was fronting three different bands in Dallas, in and around the Dallas area. Interesting. Working with her. Yeah, she's a great singer. And she'll get up and sing. I'll, I'll call her up out of the audience and have her come and sit in. And people later say, I didn't know your wife could sing. I said, you do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you guys ever uh, gone anywhere and done a, duo, du- a duet? Mm, no, we've been on several shows together, several uh, golf shows and things like that, and I get her to come up. And and um, I think I told you earlier about, I was telling Angel, I loved him belly songs for the first time. That, to me, is something that, that is just a God-given gift that I have. I love playing music on something for the first time. And I come up with stuff I just normally wouldn't come up with. And she did, uh, what's that hit song, Girl Crush, I think. I, I never heard her sing it before. She knew it. And uh, the band knew it. That's the good news. <laughs> I the changes. But when I'd go to play something else, embellish it a little bit, wouldn't happen. I went, man, I came off stage and I said, Angel, my brain still works. My hands don't work like they used to. I can play that other stuff in my sleep, you know. Uh-huh. Midnight Hour, Knock on Wood, no songs, Dock of the Bay, I play in my sleep. Well, now, you know what's <laughs> interesting? I'm going to embellish something. So, so basically, all right, so basically, the the rhythm part is not a problem. As you get older, I'm just curious now, because I'm, I'm trying to think about this a little bit here. So as we get older, the, the, the picking part and the lead playing and moving your fingers back and forth, that gets a little bit more difficult, so then you just kind of relegate yourself more or less along to... to more or less rhythm and strumming chords then, right? Is that uh, kind of where you're at? Uh, yeah, and it basically all works around dance music. Okay. So I set a groove. If it ain't danceable, then we don't do it. I said, guys, we're not going to make work out of this, are we? That's, I stole that line from Donald Duck Dunn. Oh, okay. And he said, if it's going to be work, then I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here. And they said, no, 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 stay. <laughs> and he makes it a big party for everybody. Obviously, they come out with hits, so. <laughs> Let me ask you another question about dance music. 
Okay, let me ask you a question about playing guitar a little bit. Okay, so, you know, normally there's a right way to play chords, right? And right. then, like, when you're... Because I've often, you know, as a as a guitar player myself, and I'm, I'm just an average guy, kind of like, I always watch the your fingers on the neck, okay? So I'm trying to see how you guys are playing your chords and how you're holding your hands. And I see a lot of guys, you know, they're really, like, taking shortcuts when they're playing a lot of chords. Is that... A kind of a common practice, you know, because when you're taught... Well, and, you know, let me say this about my style. Okay. If you listen to something I played on and you hear me do a lick, yeah, you don't miss the rhythm when I play that lick. It goes away. There's obviously one guitar player, not two. Right. Except on this last album, I did all of the grooves originally, and then I embellished it with guitar licks later. <laughs> okay. So I said, let me hear the singer, let me hear that singer what he's going to do with the song before I lay anything down. And I did, and it worked out. <clears throat> that's what I've always done. What, when, what I just told you. When you hear me play a lick, you never miss the rhythm. And that is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> the right moment in the right hole to play in. <laughs> How about your songwriting? What's your what's your uh, your technique with songwriting? I mean, what kind of uh, you know? Take us through that a little well, bit. I don't really have a technique. Some songs start with the music or riff, and some songs start with the lyric. Okay, it goes both ways. I just go with whatever falls out of the ceiling. Interesting. I think that if there is a trick to songwriting, you got to be there to catch the lick. Okay. If it falls out of the ceiling. Got to be there to catch it. If you don't get it, somebody else will. <laughs> so basically, it's like you're sitting around, and when you when you practice, do you play practice like a lot of guys will practice, like I do too. When I'm just kind of tinkering around, I'll tinker with an acoustic guitar, and then when I kind of get something down that I kind of like playing with a little bit, or I get a little better at, you know, copying somebody else basically, which, uh, and then I go to my electric guitar, and so is that. So when you're, but, but when I'm practicing, and let's just say fumbling around i'm usually on an acoustic is that the way you do it too uh i don't know what i do <laughs> <laughs> the thing is I, I developed a style that works so okay. the main thing when i go on stage is to create that style that's what people pay good money to come coming here they don't come to hear me play something else okay so i went to hear one of my guys who i admired here in nashville a great player on sessions i went to one of his shows he played jazz all night long i'm going When's he going to get into a groove? He played jazz. All notes. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, if you're having a good time, I'm having a good time. But I came here to hear you play what you play on records. <laughs> gotcha. All right, so that brings up another thing. So when you, used to, when you play, let's say when you're doing concerts, People want to hear you play basically the old standards, right? That's what they – because then it's all sing-along, and they want to hear it note for note and beat for beat. And well, yeah. Okay. They don't mind listening to new stuff as long as you play old stuff, too. If you play just new stuff, I have seen this happen. People get up and walk out and go, is this enough of that stuff? <laughs> Interesting. And then after it hits on the radio, they they pay money to go hear that. Gotcha. So they don't get it right off the bat. Okay. You know, the, the listening audience is not usually an A&R director. <laughs> they like something if a, if a disc jockey plays it more than once plays it over and over and over, then they learn to like it. And they, wow, that is really groovy. <laughs> when you had producers back in the day and 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 uh, record labels that you work with, did they put pressure on you to write certain songs to to keep it commercial? To you know, uh, to no, in, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> 
They just wind me up and I go. They just wind Okay. <laughs> Steve. And if they don't like it, that's fine. That's their problem. Okay. <laughs> Steve, our show is called Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So we're kind of like vintage cars, vintage music, all that kind of stuff. Now, i got to ask you this because we've got a few minutes left here. Were you ever in the cars? Was that any of your hobbies, motorcycles, boats, anything uh, like that? Not as much as my son. And I started to say. You're talking to the wrong guy. You need to talk to my son. <laughs> look at it. He can look at a sports car going down the street, tell you what's under the hood, what tires came on it when it was bought, how much it cost when it was bought. He knows everything there is to know about those kind of cars, fast cars. He just knows it. Did he get into music too, or is he uh, do? Did he get into yeah, different professions? He's a better. He's a better guitar player than I'll ever be. Oh, really? He's still learning. Yeah, he's learning too. But he says that. But I go, hey. Son. That is incredible what you're doing. So keep it up. So what's uh, what's next on the horizon for Steve Cropper? I don't know. I, I just get over this pandemic. Number one, that is the number one choice of the main choice right now. Just get over this. Get over it and let it go away. Get it behind us and we'll go forward. But until as long as we're still here, we we can't go forward. We're not allowed to. Yeah, it's kind of kind of goofy a little bit it's silly the way it is so i thought i thought man it's, it's coming to an end no it's not they come up with a different one this new variant that's got everybody shook up <laughs> well unfortunately uh you know leave it to the government which you know you, i don't know what your thoughts are but uh i i'm not exactly 100 percent convinced of what's what anymore so i just kind of like do my own thing but where i'm going with this is that are you going to be working on any other music uh, prog- projects, or, uh, any other well, albums? I've been writing a lot lately. Okay. Thanks because of we're in a lockdown. I've been writing with other people and stuff, but it's been a lot of fun for me. And I did something recently. I, <laughs> I did something. I got one of the uh, foremost uh, female bluegrass singers. Uh-huh. Wrote a song with her and had a had a top record. Interesting. Who's this? Her name is Irene Kelly. Okay. And she out of Nashville also? Yeah. Okay. So do you, um, I guess where my next question would be, we got, a, like I said, a couple of minutes left. So do you kind of like scout out uh, talent a little bit? And then are there younger people like that that you'd like to work with that you can have uh, uh, influences? No. Well, I'm, I'm one of those lucky guys. People bring me stuff and I listen to it all that. Oh, okay. And if I like it, then I try to do something with it. But I don't have a record company anymore. I don't have those connections anymore. And I tell them that on the front end now. You want to, you want my opinion on this, and I'll give it to you. I'll give you my opinion, but I, there's certain things I can't do like I used to. If I like something, we'd go in the studio and cut it, and I'd get a, get a DJ to listen to it, and he'd go, wow, that's pretty good. And then he'd play it. Do you, when you write your songs, do you write primarily for, your, for, your, for yourself, or do you write hoping or with the anticipation that maybe somebody else might well, sing your songs? I, I would like to think that I write 100% for the public. Okay. I never write for me because I'm too critical of me. Okay. I hate everything I do. <laughs> That's why I co-write everything. I like to hear the other guys say, hey, man, that is great. Do that again. Hey, I like that line. I like that lick. I like that line. You know, whatever. I love it. I love to hear that coming from somebody else. That's cool. So, Steve, we're up against the clock now. So if people want to find out more about uh, Steve Cropper, your latest albums, Booker T and the MGs, how do they go about finding it? Very simple. Steve, they can spell Cropper, C-R-O-P-P-E-R. Type it in your computer and push 
start. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That works. They got three or four hours in a, in a couple of years. <laughs> They'll get find out everything they need to I know about you. I one time for a show, and they send me off, and I'm in there by myself. Before I came up there, the guy looks at me, and he says, do you know who you are? And I go, I'd like to think I know who I am. And I stood there while he read everything that's in the, you know, Wikipedia. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Well, Steve, I want to thank you very, very much. I'm thrilled that you came on to our show this evening and celebrate our New Year's show with us. Glad to do it. And uh, thing, but I'm glad to do it, and it's, it's a lot of fun for me. And my engineer, he said he sent me an email this morning. He said, "Do you mind doing this tonight?" I said, "No, I don't mind at all." <laughs> Super. And then uh, I'm glad we got straight on the time. That worked out really, really good. Seven eight. Actually, it's between six and seven. My time, simple day like that. Right. <laughs> I got to thinking about that. I said, oh, I told him I'd call him at 6.55. That'd be 5.55. Well, you have yourself. God bless you, man. Have a very, uh, God bless you, too, and have a very good New Year. Hopefully, I can listen to your radio show. Send me a copy and I'll hear it. You will. You will. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Appreciate it. You, too. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. All right, guys, I want to wish all my listeners a Happy New Year coming up. Bobby, Happy New Year to you, too. Happy New Year to you, too. And uh, this is just uh, really a, a thrill. What a way to end the year. And, again, I want to thanks, give thanks out to all my listeners, to all the guests that have been on our show. I mean, we've had an exciting year. This is 11 years, actually, in six months, something like that. So we're going into our 12th year now. This is amazing. Next week, don't forget. Amicum starts next week. Don't forget, one of my network all-car shows, flacarshows.com. Don't forget to tune in here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most legendary, fascinating names in music and in uh, our automobiles, obviously. We can't forget that. Uh, we've got an exciting show for you next week. Don't forget to check us out again here and uh, follow us on Facebook. What our, what's our social media stuff? Twitter, buddy? LinkedIn, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. In the meantime, Happy New Year. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.